You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I just wanted to make a podcast, brief one, as I say all the time before embarking on a 55-minute podcast. (laughs) I don't know how long this will be, but rest assured, my intentions are good that it should be short. Because it's a very simple subject matter that is really stupid and really nobody should listen to it. Good day. Have a good one. Bye-bye. And that subject matter is the yin and the yang, the yips and the yoops. I made that one up because it sounds interesting. Um, The sunshine and the rain, the heads and the tails, the uh, number one and number two. No, they're both bad. The good and the bad that comes from life. We're all aware of this fact that without pain, there is no joy. Without no pain, no gain is the exercise phrase. But I don't think we think about it enough because what we're sold by the world is one or the other, it seems. You need only log into Twitter, for example, the only real honest social media out there. People bash Twitter and say it's so ugly, it's so horrible. But the reality is it's, it's the only honest social media. And what do I mean by honest? I mean, it offers the rain with the sunshine. You know, it offers the yang with the yang, yin. See, it isn't yin and yang, it's yin and yang. Why is that? Anyway, that's for another podcast that I will never make, trust me. But Twitter offers the down with the up. <laughs> so people think it's ugly and it's horrible, because why? Because you, it's not all phony horse shit. If you want phony horse shit, go back onto Facebook, which I haven't been on in years. Because that's where everybody's just posting the wonderful things that are in their lives and ignoring all the negative things. The, the most negative Facebook gets is when somebody's pet dies. And they post about that. But for the most part, everybody's just posting accomplishments and wonderful things. And everybody's just supporting each other and their wonderfulness. And it's nauseating to me. Be- precisely for the reason that I wanted to make this podcast. Which is, I think we shouldn't want one or the other. We don't have to be all negative to be realistic either. See? Nor do we have to be all full of shit. And happy sunshine up pumping it up our asses to be positive. I think it's healthy, sane, accurate, laudable, and should be the the goal of all of us to understand that when we try for something and hope for something positive, even if we achieve it, it's going to bring some negative with it. With everything good, there's some bad. And with everything bad, there's some good. A glass is both half full and half empty. (laughs) We don't have to look at it one way or the other. We use that phrase, you know, I'm myself, I'm a more of a half empty kind of guy. I'm more of a half full kind of person, you know. If life brings you lemons. But I think we can do both. We can both make lemonade out of the lemons And we can, you know, pelt them back at the person that threw them at us. Uh, We can can make lemonade out of them and we can just, 
you know, shove them up our asses and pucker up <laughs> and cry. Um, there's both good and bad, and it's okay to realize that. It's okay to express that. And here's why it's especially okay. Since all of us are experiencing that, all of us need communion with others about both good and bad. It is not going to heal us or help us or satisfy our needs fully as human beings to just be blowing happy horseshit up each other's asses all the time with happy fun posts, okay, on Facebook or whatnot, or just telling positive tales. Sure, it is helpful to have friends, family, whatever, who give you positive outlook and have a positive outlook on life because it can inspire you when you're down. And it gets you out of ruts and it can help give you light and to start each day with effort to try. But just because that's one way for things to go doesn't mean you don't still need a hug and a shoulder to cry on. Happy horseshit talk isn't always what we need. Sometimes the inspiration to pick up and move on comes from having a good, hard cry and, and being allowed to feel sorry for ourselves because we've seen the reality and it sucks. And having someone tell us, you're right, dude, your reality sucks. I feel bad for you. You should feel sorry for yourself. You got a raw deal. Sometimes that's how you help a friend out. Not just by saying, stop crying, get up and you can, it's all your perspective. You can smile right now. It's all, I look at the other side. Look at what you're ignoring. You know, sometimes we need to wallow in the misery to feel comforted and to work it through our system. For example, let's just take an animalistic, naturalistic analogy. We get sick with something. Let's say COVID. They have medications now that maybe we won't die. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll be hospitalized. Maybe we won't. You don't know till you get it. But it's not just happy, horseshit, positive attitude that's going to get you through your COVID It's going to take medication and rest and suffering, you know. You're going to be sick for a couple of days. It's going to be really bad. You can't happy horseshit your way through that sickness. Illnesses, even when our body heals and recovers from them, take down periods. We have to get through legitimate, serious pain and suffering before we get to the other side. So when that chicken crosses the road... To get to the other side. There's still a lot of traffic flying by him that he has to dodge before he gets to the other side. And sure, some of the chickens don't make it. They get run over. They get splattered. It's disgusting. It's terrible. It's really sad. But (laughs) you see beaks, beaks flying and feathers. But even if you make it to the other side, it wasn't easy crossing that fucking road. And you were lucky to make it sometimes. Very lucky, especially with COVID. So... Look, it's okay to say we need a carrot at the end of the stick. We need a sunshine. We need a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We need some motivation. True. 
But sometimes we also need to wake up and realize that there's going to, there are going to be negative things and that's normal and it's okay. And sometimes it's that we need that even more than we think. I can give you examples. This is why I wanted to make the podcast start with. I just thought of some things in life that I realized, you know what? That's true. And one of them is like dieting. Right now I'm in an extreme overweight state that I've never been in before, this unhealthy. And, you know, I've tried many times over the past year, especially, to lose weight. And I get so far a few days in and I cave. Why do I cave? Because I am currently addicted to eating carbohydrates. I'm supremely addicted. I've never been so addicted. Carbohydrates are addicting. It is a reality. You can literally have an addiction to carbs. And it. how do you know? Well, because addictions are a mental trigger. And your body literally like gets sick if you don't have them. Like you get a headache or you get you don't feel well and you, you literally crave it and want it and need it. And th- when you think of it, your whole being lights up and joy fills your soul. <laughs> Even though you know that that thing is bringing you down. That's the story of addiction, right? You could be an alcoholic and know that you're sick and vomiting every morning and shaking and horribly dependent on this drug. Yet when you think of doing it, you get joyful in your heart and soul and spirit and you crave it. And you think it's blissful to be drunk when you know that it's anything but it's become anything but you are now a true addict and it's really bad to be drunk. But there's something about that addiction that draws you back in your body in a way you can't fight with logic or reason. You can and you have, but it's hard. It's a real battle. And that's where I'm at right now with carbohydrates. Just thinking of them is can get stuck in my head to where the only way I can get it out of my head is to break down and eat. And I always regret it because my life is shit right now because of my body. It's pure shit. It's like a non-existent life. I thought that when I would retire, I would be strong enough, not no more anxiety over my work. And I was you know, had time to focus on me and I would be strong again because I know I can be very strong. Throughout my life, I've been very focused and very strong mentally, very self-disciplined, very able to achieve all kinds of things that took a lot of effort and work and focus. So I know it's in me. And I just thought that when I retired and got the stress of work off to the side, that would I would no longer need to fall back on the the crutch, uh, the reward of eating that was making me gain too much weight, I would have less of a reason because I wouldn't be stressed. So I thought with free time, I could get disciplined again and focus, focus on eating right. But little did I know I had already become addicted to carbohydrates so that now with so much time on my hands, instead of waking up every day grateful for being free of that nightmarish job that it had become and free of the stress, I just take that for granted. I just take all that shit for granted. And I see the negative, which is nothing to do, no one around. Nobody cares about me. I'm all alone. And in that mode, my body 
triggers and wants the easy out. Food. Food delivered, no less. Because food cooking, it's one thing to cook it, which is tiring. And especially when you're heavy, standing and doing anything is hard. So cooking is laborious, laborious rather. Laborsome, laborious. Anyway, laborsome, laboriousness. And when you do it, the cooking, then there's the drag of cleaning up. That's even worse. So it's just too much, too much. And if you have the extra money because you've recently retired and you can deplete your resources and have to die young, <laughs> you say, I'm all for that. I'm all for running out of money by 65 because I'm hungry and I don't want to cook. So instead of buying groceries and lugging them up the stairs and putting them away and getting them out and cooking and, and cleaning up and actually affording to eat, you opt for this unaffordable, insane DoorDash Grubhub option that brings food up the stairs for you already made. And of course, it's very high in calories and very high in carbs. And there's just all the good restaurants stop using those food delivery services long ago. So you're left with only shitty places that serve shit. But you're addicted to that shit now and you love it and they bring it to you and you throw the money away like it's nothing. I mean, think about it. Even a $45 delivery every day. Just do the math. That's 450 in 10 days. That's $1,350 in a month to eat. That's one meal a day. One meal a day, $1,350 a month just to deliver DoorDash to your door. Welcome to my world. Anyway, <laughs> ridiculous, asinine, stupid, easy, yeah. Triggering my addiction joy, yes. But the negative comes with it. The negative of I can't get off the couch, I can't walk, I can't get up and down my stairs without having a heart attack. I don't have any clothes that fit me. I can't go anywhere. I'm broke because I'm spending all the money on DoorDash. There you go. See? So there's the positive is the addictive rush and thrill of food coming to my door. The negative is everything else in my entire life. <laughs> but it's not enough to stop. That's when you know you're addicted. When everything in your life sucks because you're eating, but you can't stop the goddamn eating. Because it's just too joyful. And it actually, but here's the other side of it. When you're retired or when you have this time to focus, instead of being disciplined, you realize there's nothing in my life. What do I enjoy? Well, I love eating all of a sudden. When I was busy in life, when I had things to do, places to go, people to see, when I really was trying to get a girl to love me, to lust for me, to want to see me naked, <laughs> then it was easy to put eating to the background. Easier, let's say. And it was easier to convince myself, I don't even care about eating. I don't even need food. I don't even want it. It's something I do to, for sustenance. That's all. It's because I have to. And so it's easier to diet when you think of food that way. Because you have other things in life that are more important. But when you don't have anything else in life that's more important, your focus is on that food. And it's suddenly the joy that you get from that becomes overwhelming. So just put aside the fact that you're literally addicted to the carbohydrates and to what happens inside your body when you consume them. Put that reality aside, that it's like heroin or cocaine, literally, and just focus on the fact that it's also something to do in your day that 
is eventful and joyful, waiting for that food to come and eating it. And it's all prepared and it's yummy. And if you find a good place and you buy, you might order it three days in a row because it's so damn good. And um, usually those are the expensive places <laughs> where you're spending way too much on one meal. But damn it, they have lobster tail and a good filet. And, a, and those are better for you too. But you're spending way too much money and on and on. But the bottom line is this. The positive comes with enormous negatives. But guess what? Negatives come with positives too. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, the negative of, let's say, uh, I don't even know what I mean by that. Never mind. That's not the idea. The idea of the podcast is all positives have negatives. That's the point. That's what I want people to understand. You can't do something positive in your life without a negative corresponding with it. So stop pretending you can. That's the point. Okay? Uh, Here's a good example. Sex. Sex seems like it should be positive, right? It should be something joyful in life. But the reality is sex destroys people's lives regularly. You know, homosexual people have their careers and judgment of against them because there's still enormous prejudice against them due to their sexualities. If you like kink, uh, it, it can ruin your marriage and ruin a relationship if your partner doesn't. And if you try to live for your kink or find a place that accepts you, you find nobody really does. Or you find people that are kinky in ways that are disgusting to you. And those are the only people that accept you. And to you, it's horrifying. (laughs) Their kinks are horrifying. Yours are fine. (laughs) There is no real joinder of two parties. But think about sex and how many marriages it's destroyed, families it's destroyed relationships, lives, how many, how many children have killed themselves over, you know, their sexuality, their gender confusion, which is different. I understand that. So I won't go there, but it, you know, these, these issues of, of desire and sex and lust, and what do we do with it? And think about the amount of women's self-confidence that have been destroyed by the image of women and the sexual desirability of women, pornography, what it means to be hot or desirable to a man. And think about the, the amount of men who have been polluted in their view of sexuality by pornography and the violence. And, and, and yet there are equal amount of women who want, who have rape fantasies, who want violent sex, who, who think it's hot, you know. All of our sexualities are so distorted what are they? I mean, what is pure? What, you know, is our sexuality really even us? Or was it manufactured by our environments and what we allowed ourselves to see or read or be exposed to? And it's gotten so much worse, of course, with the internet. I mean, I know me and how I was raised, I was very sheltered from a lot of sexual ideas, but I still had them in my head. I still had kinky thoughts and other thoughts in my head. But if, if, if they were never in your head, but you turn on the internet and you see shit, now they're in your head and they weren't even ever going to be there. So maybe you aren't even you and your sexual desires and the things you're allowing yourself to lean towards aren't even who you would have been. But for your exposure. But the sexuality can be so destructive. It, 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 we think it's healthy to be sexual. But then in the same country, we also repress it, which is negative too. But is it? Is it negative to repress sexuality? Because 
when we live in our sexualities or live for our sexualities, it doesn't turn out very well because sex is very volatile. And the hell with the, let alone the, the concept of that it's bumping uglies as somebody, some woman put it to me many years ago and it kind of repulsed me when she said that. It's still kind of a gross way to look at sex. Two people bumping uglies. Who cares about it? She was dismissing sex by saying that, by characterizing it that way. But regardless, how you look at it, if you want to degrade it as an act, it's just procreation, it's just bumping uglies, whatever you want to say about it. Or it's beautiful lovemaking and it's, you know, can take you to a higher level of awareness and all that stuff. Either extreme. The bottom line is, our sexualities dictate so much of what we do way too often. And what it is is something that I think human beings allow to be too much a part of our culture and our lives. And they're very destructive because they're so vol- sex is so volatile. It's so, it's so, it's so anti-intellectualism and the higher art of being human. In other words... You can talk about sex as some spiritual awakening, but the reality is it's still the animal part of human beings. It's still, you know, the hair on our bodies and the the shitting and pissing and eating and turning it into waste and shitting it out. You know, you can talk about how pretty we are and dress us up, but at the end of the day, we are animals that take in something because we need to nutrients and then we turn it into waste. And it's all kind of gross really (laughs) and that's sex too we have these urges and we pump out seed to procreate and it's breeding and it's it's all kind of gross and base really it really is we dress it up and make it hot and sexy but really it's it is bumping uglies really (laughs) bumping uglies for the sake of sustaining existence right i mean that's really when you boil it down yet somehow because it is desirable Because nature, God or otherwise, has made our crotches be stimulated and happy when they think sexual thoughts or do sexual things in order so that we survive. Because if we didn't have that excitement from that, we would maybe never have thought as animals to do it and we would have been extinct, see? That's my theory, I don't know. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think it makes perfect sense that human beings and all animals are created to have these desires and this making it pleasurable to fuck for the reason of survival. That if we weren't given pleasure in that area, we might not do it. And then we'd die and we wouldn't know why. We never would think to fuck if it wasn't something that we enjoyed. And then next thing you know, we'd be too old to make babies and then we'd be wiped out. So it's almost like a built-in survival mechanism. Sex is something that the the generations of creatures, insects, everything, I mean, it's just innate in them. And whether or not insects enjoy it, I don't know. Theirs might be just mechanical and just instinctual. I don't know. Animals seem to live way more by instinct than man. Man has the the ability to reason, and that takes us away from a lot of our instincts. But when it comes to sex, it doesn't. And that's my point. Sex is that volatile, powerful, animalistic impulse that overcomes our reason too often. 
I think, still to this day, that overcomes our higher nature, our ability to rise above animalistic behaviors which can involve violence and cruelty, hostility, anger. I think our animalistic natures are prone to bad acts. I think we are bent towards doing wrong more so than good even. I, I'm not saying good's nature, uh, man's nature is to be bad, but I do think we are, that's part of our nature. That's the yin and the yang. See, that's my point. It's in us, the negative. And with every positive, there is negative. And sex is a perfect example. We think of it as positive. But then just think back on your sex life. Think back now on everybody you've fucked or wanted to and the harm it's caused you. Think back to the women or men that you've desired who have broken your heart or hurt you and the pain you suffered and think about how much you would have had that pain or felt any interest in them if it wasn't for your groin. Really, how much of that love was you in your heart and your mind and how much of it was your inner sexual desire driving that bus that ended up crashing over that cliff? Because they grabbed the wheel and turned it on you and threw you over the cliff, basically. Okay, the analogy is getting weird. How did they get in the bus? I don't know. And then they turned the wheel. They made you crash. They jumped out. They're alive. They're fine. You go over the hill. That's what I'm talking about. Anyway, (laughs) bottom line is we have to realize when we chase after good dreams, there's going to be rain clouds that come with it. You know, the rich people tell you when you have money, it's not all joy. There are headaches that come with it. I mean, a great example, again, this is a selfish example, but it's something relevant to me, and hopefully you'll get the point. I wanted to be an actor growing up. If I had achieved my dream and had become a famous actor, which is what I wanted in the movies, I'd be terrified right now because I live in a world right now where I'm scared about who wants to kill me and what's going to happen bad when I walk out my door. I don't know about you. But but this shit with the shootings and everything else and, and social media people attacking, all the negativity you see on Twitter, you know, you realize the darkness in people's minds. And so imagine being famous and everyone knows you. And you don't know how many of them out there know you and think well of you versus how, versus how many of them maybe think you're an asshole. And every time you go out your door, you have a 50-50 chance you'll run into someone who loves you and is a big fan or somebody who wants to maybe plan to kill you or kidnap you or do something horrible to you because they know you. I mean, even doing these podcasts, I've made enemies. Even doing podcasts, you have people that liked you, then they listen to your thoughts and they're like, ooh, I don't like that guy. He said X, Y, or Z and I don't agree with him and I don't like him anymore. So anytime you're known, you risk making enemies as much as friends. So if I had achieved my glorious dream of being a famous actor, I would live in fear. (laughs) Sure, you can have a big mansion, but nowadays, wouldn't you worry about who's sneaking around on the property, who climbed over the fence, who got around your security system? I would have to have like six or seven security systems on that property to feel safe on it. You have all these homes with big glass windows everywhere. Would you feel safe living in something like that these days? Maybe you would. I wouldn't. I'm scared of the world today. 
I mean, not enormously. I don't live in anxiety. I'm not that type of person, really. But I'm just, I don't know. I think I'm being smart. I see what's out there with the hostility, especially in America, with the Trumpers, et cetera, and the hostility. And I just, you don't know if your neighbor, what they're thinking, what's going on. So imagine being famous and rich. You've made yourself a target. Your mansion is some people know where it is, and maybe they want to break in. They've had these episodes. People break in, stalkers, etc. I guess it doesn't stop rich people and famous people from being rich and famous and loving it. But I don't know. I would I would find it to be stressful. And you know, having money, there are issues with taxes and uh other expenses that come up, people want money from you when they know you have money. They want, You become a target in that respect. And, um, and I think the more alive you are and more you're doing things, there's joy in that. But then there's also you have to keep it up. Join a group and then people want you. The more friends you have, the more calls you're getting, the more pressure there is on you. You might be popular, but you're also popular to call up to ask for a favor or to borrow money or to get a ride or to even just have a lunch. Maybe you're tired of meeting all these people that you like and they're friends, but you just would like some time off. But they're coming at you because you have friends. You have a wonderful dog and you love him, but he's shitting on the rug and you have to take him for a walk. And maybe even after you've trained him, he chews up one of your favorite pairs of shoes. And on and on. You see my point. The things in life that are wonderful come with negative sides. I love my cat. He's a wonderful cat. He's the best pet I've ever had. He has a really good soul. He's a best friend to me. And he just turned, or will be turning in August. He turned six. He's six and a half now. And I'm terrified because my last cat only lived to 11. And she went out real fast. Like in February, she was fine. And then by March, I had to have her put down due to a lung, lung cancer, tumor on her lung, in her lung. And she just went down and out and everything really bad. Real quick. And I think of this cat and when he, my Flitzy, that's his name. I think of uh, the fact that I'm very likely to outlive him, and I hope I do. That's the other thing. It would break my heart if I died before my cat. What would happen to him? No one wants him. No one would take care of him. He would go crazy. He would be horrible without me. He's very attached to me. He's a very nervous cat. He's very indoor only, terrified of the outside world. Uh, he's very happy when he knows everything. If you change a single thing, he comes out and crouches around it and looks at it. What's that? What did you put down there? Why did you invade my world with this object? He's very sensitive to the environment. And then he wants to take it all over, of course, too. Anything you put somewhere, he will make it his. But only after he uh, sniffs it out first to make sure it's safe. But the point is, if I disappeared and his whole world changed, I don't think he'd live through it. So certainly I... I hope to outlive him. But then that means I have to experience his death. And people can poo-poo it. I just sort of 
did when I said on Facebook, the only negative thing people post is the death of a pet, which is kind of true. But it's a horrible thing when you really love anybody, including a pet, and they, and they pass. But especially pets, they, they die so quickly, you know. It's like having a child who dies at 15. Horrible. And that's how quickly, that's as long as they live at best. So as wonderful as it is to have a pet, it has a built-in horrible downside coming with it. The death that you're going to live through and experience. The loss of that loved creature. And, and the closer you are to them, and the more wonderful of a pet that they are, the more horrible that death's going to be. And that's a reality. Now, you don't live 24-7 with your pet thinking about they're going to die, they're going to die, they're going to die. You don't shit on the joyful moments that you're experiencing worrying about that future any more than you live your whole life worrying about your death. You can't do that. You have to live in the moment and get as much out of life as you can. But what I'm saying to you is let's chill on the happy horseshit all the time way of thinking. You can be both. You can live happily and embrace the negativity that comes with each day. Each day comes with something good and something bad. You can have an experience of good news and bad. You can have a financial hardship hit you in a day on the same day when you find out that, uh, you know, the test came back and negative and you don't have cancer. You could have, you could watch a movie that makes you cry and laugh and a one of the best films you've ever seen in your life. And on that same day, your favorite sports team loses and they're out of the playoffs. You know, you could have big highs, big lows, joyful things and bad things all in the same day. And that's okay. You don't have to say it was a good day. Oh, today was a bad day. Sometimes they're both. I mean, and, and I, I believe that with every good thing comes negative. I believe that. I don't believe there's a positive thing you can think of that doesn't have a negative downside that's coming with it that you're going to experience. You know, food is a perfect example. Here's a good thing. Dieting, right? When you diet, it's wonderful. You lose weight, you feel better, you look better, you feel healthier, you live longer. But you also lose the joy of the food. And what you eat, you don't generally like that much. If you were eating what you liked, you'd be fat again. That's what got you fat in the first place. Eating the things that actually were good to you, that actually were delicious. You can lie to yourself and convince yourself the stuff you're eating that's healthy and good for you is delicious. But if that were true, you would never have been fat. See, I think the people that never get fat are lucky people in the sense that whatever they enjoy eating or don't enjoy eating, it fits their body. And they're able to stay at the same sort of weight because food either isn't that exciting to them or the things that they like happen to be good for them or the things that they like, they only like in moderation or whatever. But the point is the lucky people who never get fat are the people that when it comes to food, don't have a real downside on the eating. However, you find some of them will get heart disease and diabetes from what they're eating just because they don't gain weight. Inside their body, they're having bad effects that they're not aware of until later 
in life when they get tests, etc. So that's also true. There is negativity with the joy of their eating and the life that's happy on the physical outside. Sometimes there's negative on the inside. Sometimes there isn't at all, and it's just positive with them in their lives. But there's other things that they have in their lives, consumption-wise maybe, that are negative for them. Great example is alcoholism. Most alcoholics are skinny. They don't gain weight because their addiction is to the, their food is the booze. So, you know, you don't find fat alcoholics like ever usually because you, 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 one or the other, you make a choice, whatever you want to consume, you know, and, and as we all know, anyone who's enjoyed a drink, your buzz is killed from eating. So you don't want to eat and drink. It's stupid. You know, you, if you really love drinking and that's what you crave, you won't eat much because you want that clear buzz. And you want to feel the buzz. And, and frankly, the alcohol is the calories. So, sure, they're skinny and they still can look good until their liver starts dying. But they eat the alcohol, you know. So you could say, well, the positive of being an alcoholic is better than a food addict is uh, you're, you're healthy and you could still meet a woman or a man and fall in love and, you know, until your alcoholism gets so bad that nobody wants to be around you and you're dying. <laughs> but, but it's better than being a food addict in the sense that you're not isolated and alone. People hate food addicts because you're fat and you're ugly and you can't move and you can't go to funerals of people when they die because you don't have any clothes and can't walk and, and nobody, they blame you for it. Nobody thinks that it's really your health. They think it's you. And everybody blames the fat person for being fat because they made the choice to eat, see. But all the things they're choosing to do, whatever it is, they're not showing on the outside. So their things, their bad weaknesses aren't showing. But they're there. Believe me, everybody you know has things they're doing that they shouldn't be doing that are bad for them, but they're just not showing. They're doing them in private or secret or in some way that, you know, isn't ruining them on the outside. But you, as the eating person, you're the one that's shamed and it's ruining all kinds of other things beyond what it really should be ruining because it has an external effect. So that's the point, is that there are good and bad, they're hidden. We don't know what's there. You could see someone, it seems really happy, but there's negative in their lives. They're just not sharing. And what I'm trying to say with this podcast is, don't stop from doing good things because it comes with some bad. You know, you've got to use your brain and weigh, weigh the good and the bad. And make the right choice. Make the smart choice. You know, Obviously, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize you always want to go with the things where the good outweighs the bad overall. Right? We want good more than bad. And there is a way to get that. Just because I'm saying to you everything good comes with some bad doesn't mean it's a 50-50 ratio. Right? So the good that comes from eating healthy in my opinion, outweighs the bad that comes from not enjoying the food as much. Even though that's true, I have a hard time getting my mind and my body and my habits and my soul to embrace that constantly. I can do it from time to time, lose weight and look good for a while, but then I fall off the wagon and I start eating what I really want again. But make no mistake, my brain knows 
that the bad that comes with dieting is outweighed by the good that comes from dieting. And, and, and the question is, can I, can I stay aware of that reality and live via my brain more and do make the right choice or not? It's up to me. But don't think that when you make the right choice, everything will be roses. That's what I'm saying. There's going to be down things. There are going to be negatives that come. You're going to miss the bad thing you did or the other life that was seemed wrong because there were joys that came with that. There are good things that come from bad things and bad things that come from good things. You just have to make the choice to do more good than bad because in the end, the bad things that come from doing good are always outweighed, really. If you think about it, you wouldn't call it a good thing if it really was outweighed by the bad. That makes it the bad thing. <laughs> you know, the 50-50 split or whichever takes over, that's why we label it bad. You know, like sex with your partner might have a downside of, I don't know, I can't think of one right now, but it might have a downside. But whatever that downside is, the positive of the sex with the partner who loves you and you love outweighs it. So that's good sex. The sex... In adultery, with a partner outside your marriage, you could enjoy that sex a hell of a lot. But if the downside is you losing your entire marriage, and that's something you desperately don't want to do, and all the shit that comes with that, then you know that's a bad thing, that adulterous sex. Because as pleasurable as it is in that moment, the bad side outweighs the good. So I think it's a balancing act that we have to use our reason to make a determination about how to behave in our lives. We are human beings and we are separated from the other animals because we really do have the ability to make reasoned choices. We might have impulses to act. We might have addictions that help us you know, lean one way or another more than we would like to, more than a normal human would if we have an addiction. But we still have, as addicted as we might be, as animalistic as we might be, as inclined to negativity as we might be, we have the ability to reason and say, this good thing is harder. This good thing comes with negative still. But it's the better choice. Because in the end, big picture, I will be happier in the long run and it is better in the long run. And overall, the positive outweighs the negative with this thing. So I have to do this thing. But don't ever think it's only positive. That's a surefire way to never do anything good in your life. If you want to never do good things and never have joy, never have happiness, then spend your time focusing on the negative and thinking every move you make, only think of the negative. Then you won't do anything. You have to realize, yes, negative is going to come with it. There is negative that comes with every action you take just as there's positive with every action you take. The key is which one, which actions, which behaviors, which decisions come where the positive outweighs the negative. Then those are the ones you want to make. Those are the choices you need to make. Weigh the two sides and move towards the one where the positive outweighs the negative. The positive of owning my cat, Flutzy, outweighs the negative, the fact that I'm going to have to suffer through his death. 
because the time with him day in and day out far exceeds the time period of grief and loss that I'm going to feel. As awful as it's going to be, as much as I don't want it to come, I, would, I will trade off that loss and that terrible feeling of loss I'm going to have for the joy of knowing him and having him in my life. And the same is true for love. We choose love knowing that it's probably more likely than not to end in a breakup and a heartache and loss because for that moment, it's so, it's, it makes us high. It's so fulfilling and rewarding and beautiful. You know, but we have to choose, we have to choose wisely still. You know, some forms, some loves are like eating a donut. Really no good payoff. <laughs> really never worth it. <laughs> Think about some foods that are never worth it. Ice cream I submit is worth it. Donuts I submit are never worth it. <laughs> They're always overrated and always have more negative downside than positive. But that's just me. You might love donuts, like a lot. I never did. They're okay. You know, occasionally I'll get a craving, but for the most part, sweets in general are not my thing. So, but ice cream, there's a sweet I like. To me, I'm willing to take the downside to enjoy the, the pleasure of ice cream from time to time. But there are some loves, some relationships, some involvements that are never going to be worth it. And we have to know that going in and not do them. You know, and... We have to act with reason and discipline, but we can only make the right choices if we weigh negative versus positive. And we can only do that if we acknowledge the negative. That's my point. We must acknowledge the downside that comes from every positive action. Because until we recognize the downside, acknowledge it, we can't properly weigh it against the positive, and therefore have a good decision be made. We can't make the right decision about what to do if we don't foresee the negative out of everything and weigh it, you know. And then, of course, the final hard decision is doing the thing that we don't really want to do, but we know it's more positive than negative, and we know it's the right thing, but we don't really want to do it. That's hard. That's hard, but that's where we're at as human beings. But you can't get to that point if you don't at least acknowledge the negative that comes with it. So I encourage you all to be happy, to live in the moment, to live for positive. But don't delude yourself into thinking that if you're doing it right, there is no negative. Don't cut out of your life the negative parts that come with the positive. Embrace them. Acknowledge them. Realize that that's part of your life now. And you have chosen to accept that negative because you like the positive that comes with it. But those negative moments and those negative things that happen, don't just shut your mind to them and pretend like they're not real. You know, and have friends and family and people in your lives who help you deal with the negative as much as the positive. Have people in your lives who are willing to share with you their negative so that you know you're not alone. No, they're not bringing you down. Maybe some of them. But this idea that I don't want any bad energy in my life. Sometimes that negative stuff that other people are telling you about, it feels good to hear it because you know you're not alone in your negative stuff. Maybe you're not telling them about it. Maybe you should be. 
But the point is, we need to have we need to have camaraderie in the down as much as the up. We need people to understand our temptation, even if we overcome it. We need people who understand the power of addiction or the power of sexuality and who will talk to us about sexuality and understand the darkness of it or the damaging aspects of it and are willing to talk to us about that before we can enjoy the beauty of it. We can't pretend that sexuality is just pure and wonderful or that it's just dark and evil. We have to understand both aspects of it and have friends and people in our lives who are willing to talk about it with us in general, overall, including the bad. If we, if we don't face the bad and talk about the bad, how can we overcome it? How can we make the right choice and do the best thing if we don't even acknowledge or see or aren't able to discuss or evaluate the bad? And we all need friends and family and people in our lives who help us do that. We can't just evaluate the bad alone. We can't see it and deal with it alone. We're liable to lie to ourselves and understate the bad so that we do it more or overstate the bad so that we never do the good thing. You know, we need some objectivity. We need some outside person to help us evaluate. And again, we need to first realize both are going to be there, good and bad, yin and yang, sunshine and rain, up and down, right and left, you get the idea. Black and white. Okay. I love you. Yabba da boop bop.